There's something about today's movie that makes me kind of in a fashion of Owen Wilson go, wow. Where I'm not flabbergasted by something strange in the universe that is new to me, but I'm reminded of something interior that I want to process and chew on for a long time. It's a little bit of that subtlety of looking at your own existence without harping too hard on it in your own mind. It's falling in love, but not completely head over heels. It's dealing with the realness of life while still having dreams. It's kind of everything that our generation seems to be about. And yeah, it doesn't make me scream, wow, but it does make me have an Owen Wilson, wow. It's Ewan McGregor, Christopher Plummer, and Melanie Laurent in Beginners. Welcome, everybody, to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Goms. I am your host, Ryan Graves, and I am joined by my best friend in the whole world... Kelly McCrillis. Oh, he's so somber and so sweet and tender. Well, I just saw a really nice movie, Ryan. It gave me a lot of feelings. I just have a lot of feelings. Okay, go home. What was the movie called? The movie was called Beginners. Okay, well, we'll get to the movie in a second, but okay. before we get, before to, the we movie, get to the movie, I want to break the ice with you a little bit. Oh, thank goodness. We need something, something to break this ice in this 12-year relationship. <laughs> have, we, have we been friends for 12 years? Uh, since tw- 2009. Oh, oh, my God. We, our friendship is a 12-year-old. Our friendship is our, a sixth grader. Our friendship our plays Our friendship dodgeball. could beat up your little kid. <laughs> Please get away from my little kid. No, we're going to play uh, Am I a Snob? Mmm, snobby? It's not really a game so much so as uh, I get to decide whether you were a snob during yeah. some point in time in your day, I'm assuming? Yeah. Was it today? No. No. It was over the weekend. Okay. So I went to a vacation on the Oregon coast. Mm, Not, lovely. The 101 stretching on for miles. Didn't go to Astoria. Didn't go to Cannon Beach. Didn't go to Manzanita. Went to Rockaway Beach. Now, if you're from Rockaway Beach, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but I have some complaints. Oh, there goes all of our listenership. Do you see them? You Bye. guys didn't have any coffee, or at least you didn't have... Portland coffee. And ooh, I know, ooh. I know, you're oh, not oh, supposed oh, to have oh, Portland oh, no, coffee. No, there. but can I can I get in on this? Yes. Can, can I also be a snob? Get in, get in. Okay. Uh I kind of want I'm just gonna get into this uh this oh. hot tub real quick oh. if you just move. I mean we're at the beach. Oh. So oh, nice. Man, it's, they really make these a lot smaller than they used to. Yeah, I don't really remember do. sitting not being able to sit right next to the only other person in the hot tub, but oh well. No, yeah. You gotta you gotta knock knees. You gotta so uh there's two kinds of uh coffee shops on the coast, right? Yeah, yeah. There's your like one that are like kind of implants from city coffee uh-huh. or transplants is yep. the word that I want to use. And they're nice because it's like people caring about the coffee and it's tasty and it's snobby, but it's really good coffee. Yeah. And then there's ones that think that the, uh, is it Tarani, the syrup? Oh yeah. 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 It, Sorry, Tarani. It, <laughs> that you need like about 400 of them just to make sure that your coffee shop is yep. fully stocked with syrups. Yep. 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 Um, yep. I, I can, and it's not every time, but I almost every time I walk into one of those, I'm like, ooh, I better get a mocha here because <laughs> yeah. I am not going to like their coffee. Yeah. Anyway, 
I know that snobby. So let's get back to your snobby okay. thing. So we're we're in Rockaway Beach. It's a nice it's a nice seaside town. Sure, you know, but it's no seaside. No, 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 no seaside. Oregon. Well, it's much smaller. Sure, uh, but Boo. it was the morning. Needed my coffee because I'm Portlander. It's in my DNA. I'd sell my own grandma for a cup. Well, I'd sell your grandma for a cup. Yeah, I go to the diner where they have breakfast, and not only did well. The, there was going to be coffee, but she hadn't brewed it yet. But I saw where the coffee station was, and it was those things where it's like you got the orange handle, and you got uh, the brown your handle. Your decaf and your – I mean, they weren't brewing decaf that early in the morning, were they? That's what they had. Oh. They only had decaf? <laughs> she didn't have the regular coffee brewed, so I had to I had to go without. What kind of person drinks decaf in the morning? Like, I know it still has some caffeine in it, but – I feel yeah. like I worry about them the same way that I worry about people that have two first names. Like one is a last name where it's like, <laughs> like are you a murderer? <laughs> right. So <laughs> I, I too have those fears, uh, but I'm okay with diner coffee sure, in the proper you, context. It, right. Because each, each coffee to its own place. If you go into a diner, I expect diner coffee. If I go into like a delicatessen, it doesn't need to be great. It just needs to fit the delicatessen. So when I'm having diner coffee, I like it to be flowing like a river, like mm-hmm. just constantly yeah. bring me more coffee, yeah. and it should be going with the bacon and eggs that I'm scarfing down. It's that's that tastes good to me. It doesn't need to be super fancy. And then later point. you ruin a bathroom, right? Yeah, <laughs> but there wasn't even coffee here. I ordered the coffee, got the food, and she's like, "Oh, I forgot to brew the coffee. Do you mind waiting?" I'm like, "No, I have to go catch this adorable train ride that I'm going to go on with my son, so I can't. So give me money back." So we go on this train ride, which is like 30 minutes away to another town. And we knew coming into this vacation spot that this town also had a coffee shop. So when mm-hmm. we get there, there will be coffee. There will be donuts. We get to town, walk up to the shop. It's permanently closed. Oh, that's rough. So we're like, okay, what Damn do we do? You COVID! So we kind of dawdle for a second because the break, we have a 30 minute break there. So it's like, okay, find something and like, you know, figure out how to get back to the train. So we look around and we see a girl like come the opposite direction of us holding a coffee cup. Mm -hmm. And uh, she wasn't in shouting distance, so we couldn't yell at her. But we like saw another bystander. (laughs) Give me your hair. (laughs) Give me your hair. We're like, uh, ask the bystanders, like, do you know where there's any coffee around? And they just basically were like, yeah, I think that away. And we like went down the street, turned a corner and saw that there was a gas station. Uh... And I was like, no, I'd rather be dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is where we come to it. So I could have had gas station coffee. You could have had hot, dark liquid and this isn't this isn't like a you know your run of the mill Shell station or run of the mill seventy six station. It is like a Ma and Pa gas station from like a Stephen King movie. It's like well, well, okay, okay. So I I am gonna say you weren't on a road trip desperate to stay awake. So I'm not gonna call you a snob in this okay this place. Um, no, you were not a snob. <sighs> ding ding. However, oh no, maybe your prejudice mm. or was it your pride or or was i too proud <laughs> kept you from maybe experiencing some damn fine coffee because i i bet 90 percent of the time that mom and pa shop is is going to be just a standard run-of-the-mill just like a 76 station or whatever kind of coffee but 
some ma's and pa's know how to do it right. It's that true. That could have been diner level coffee. It's true. It's like uh, Mexican food. The food cart mm. is always the best place yep. to find great Mexican food, yep. like they do in Beginners. Yeah, you don't you don't want to go to your like Rancho Chicos no, or no. whatever. Ugh. Find a good good food cart. Yeah. Somebody who actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. No brick and mortar here. So, yeah, next time, maybe I'll try gas station coffee. Wasn't this time. Ryan, you're not a snob. <gasps> Why don't you tell me a story, though? And not, not one about coffee. Deal. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a song. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. Today's movie stars, you love him, you have to have him, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> the, I, the Scotsman that has never been a Scotsman on our podcast. He did, he never will be a Scotsman on our podcast. He did a pretty good American accent this time around. I liked his American accent. It was it didn't have affectation like when we saw him in Down with Love. Yeah, man, Down with Love was too much. Too much what? Ewan. Can you no, have too I much know. Ewan? No, can't have too much Ewan. You can't you, have too much Ewan. Ewan, you can't have too much. He is great. He is great. Um, no, it's it's big fish where his accent is off the charts. Oh, really? He's like, I'm from the south. <laughs> I'm telling tall tales. Yeah. Um, yeah, he. Uh, I like his American accent, and um, uh, we've got Christopher Plummer, Academy Award winner, been in the Pantheon. Uh, if you don't know who Christopher Plummer is out there, you actually do know who Christopher Plummer is. He, if I mean, you he know the, Edelweiss, yeah. you know Plummer. He, yeah, yo, <laughs> hey, yo, hey, Plummer, sing us that yo. song, Edelweiss. Hey, yo, Plummer, sing us the Edelweiss. So what happens whenever he goes to the mechanics? <laughs> yo, hey, Plummer, hey, it's the flower guy. Sing it for my girlfriend, Covey. Hey, Covey. <laughs> Come Cubby. listen to this guy sing. You love him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, 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 what's going on? What's going on? Why did I marry him? Oh, that's what the next one's about. <laughs> Where Peter is a failed car mechanic. <laughs> All he can do is yell at people. <laughs> I would watch the crap out of that movie. Sorry, for anybody who's just entering us now, this is about our love and hate and love again. Mm-hmm. Of the two All the Boys I Loved Before. Laura series. Jean, but we're talking about Beginners, starring Christopher Plummer, Ewan McGregor, and lovely Melanie Laurent. Oh, so lovely. Who's not putting on an accent in this movie? No. She's just being French. <laughs> I bet Ewan McGregor was so jealous. Like, she gets to be French? Why can't I be French? They're like... Because <laughs> you're Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Scottish people can do better French accents because they're closer, or it's harder because... Like, their accents are so unique. Ooh. I want to hear, Rachel, you're listening. I want to hear right now your, like, experience with accents and what you've, what what expert advice you've gotten on doing good accents. On, like, doing specific dialects and stuff? Yeah, like, who has, who has the leg up on doing certain dialects? Like... British people doing American accents, American people doing British accents. Who's I, got a, who's I got feel the like, up? I feel like it's been far and away proven almost by just the measure of time and all the movies that have come out that British actors generally do a little bit better job at an American accent than the other way around. Yeah. Unless you're Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, B. <Beanie>. Pangolins. <laughs> Penguins. Uh, okay. So Beginners is by Mike Mills. It came out in 2010. 
who's more uh, more recently uh, got a little bit of uh, praise and fame for 20th Century Women. Mm-hmm. Um, with, another another indie darling. Yeah, with the with the Gerwig starring in that, co-starring in that. I, I feel like he has kind of a Hitchcockian type because if you look at Melanie Laurent and um, Greta Gerwig. Gerwig, they're very similar looks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the movie, the story is about a man who's 38. He's a like a graphic designer dude in LA. Well, he's a he's an artist. He's I mean, like he he's he, working for an agency. He's like doing corporate work. Yeah, he's doing. Uh, but he he's he's like a, a hand illustrator. Yeah, yeah, like is is an agency he's working for? Is that kind of what he seems to be doing? Commission jobs. Yeah, I I couldn't tell whether it was a shared artist space mm-hmm. because he was saying like hi to people yeah. that were coming in, or whether it was like a he was a working for an agency. But regardless, he's not very good at it, <laughs> right? Or at least he's he's doing that thing that we all did right outside of college, where people wanted us to make something. And they're like, "This is the way to make something. Please do it." And you're like, "I have artistic vision." Yeah. So the reason he has artistic vision is, is that his father just passed away. Right. And his mom four years beforehand or six mm-hmm. years beforehand. And his father's played by Christopher Plummer. And so throughout the movie, we're getting flashbacks to him. And his his deal is his father came out as gay at 75. and Right know, after his mom died. Yeah. And he said, you know, Ewan McGregor says his father loved his mother and all that stuff. But he Christopher Plummer wanted to go out and actually experience this life of his. Mm-hmm. And that's basically this the I guess we'll call that the B story just because it's in the past. Yeah. And but um this movie's edited together in such a beautiful way where we jump around from Ewan McGregor's like present where he is courting Melanie Laurent, which we'll get to, to his near past where he is like you know, experiencing his dad at 75, um, who is also battling with cancer, mm-hmm. um, but also like coming out and just like enjoying his new life as an out gay man. The C story is him and his mother's relationship from when, when he was young. Yeah. Um, and then the D story is him and his dog. Yeah. Christopher <laughs> Blummer's old dog. Who speaks in subtitles. What is his name again? I can't remember. How? I want to say no, Baxter or something. That's from Anchorman. <laughs> Baxter, why is it that Jack Russell's like get all the fame? Because, like you McGregor said, they're cute, and maybe it's a little random, but we think they're cute. Yeah, because we got Eddie from Frasier, mm-hmm. we've got Baxter, and then we've got why can't we think of his name? This dude, this 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 this, this cat who's a dog, this dog. But um, as as that's going, he meets um, Melanie Laurent at a uh, Halloween party, but mm-hmm. she can't talk because she has laryngitis and he's dressed up as Freud. Who is she supposed to be? Some guy. Some guy, <laughs> yeah. She looked kind of like, I, I thought it was going to be that she ended up uh, being young or something, but she had way too much hair. Oh, that would have been too good. Yeah. That would have been so. a match made in heaven. Yeah. But I really like how they get together. He's he's basically, he doesn't want to go to a party, but his friends drag him out. And he does the thing that I do at parties where if you don't want to be there, you find like a foothold yeah. doing something like becoming the bartender yeah. or something. And he basically psychoanalyzes people on a couch yeah. because he's dressed up as Freud. <laughs> I can't remember what my go-to. I used to have a go-to where I would do a thing. I would just kind of camp somewhere and just kind of stay there and just be confident. Because you know when you're at a party and you see all the beautiful people and you're like, I want to be with the beautiful people, but I'm intimidated. Uh, maybe if I just camp here, they'll come to me. Yeah, how'd that work out? Uh, not great. No? But all's well as ends well because I have a son and I'm married to a beautiful woman, so 
It's all worked out. <laughs> that that ends up being your story, like the end to all of your stories. You're like, yeah, well, I didn't make uh, the soccer team, but I ended up married with kids. So what what's up with that? I have to tell myself something. <laughs> Um, but they end up having, she notices that he's sad. She kind of sees through his, um, his beard cause he has a great Sigmund Freud beard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two of them just end up having a great time at this party. Yeah. And then they go off, have a night together. Do they not, make, do not have sex. Do not do the deed. I like how she just says, can we just sleep? Yeah. Like, I, I like that she like saves important. Like, cause she can't speak cause she has laryngitis and we later figure out that she's an actress and she needs to like get her voice back basically. Yeah. 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 And yeah, they just, she lives in hotels and then she flies to France, New York, somewhere. New York. She, she kind of, yeah. Pinballs around. So the structure of the film kind of has this, what I would call psychological realism where Ewan McGregor is playing this character named Oliver, which is weird cause my nephew's name is Oliver and it's just weird to like see uh, the kid weird how people have the same name well it's just like people i only have i i don't know it's just oliver is such a unique name yeah i think oliver came back in vogue um around that time period like 2008 to 2012 or so and so he was born in that time period right he was born in like 2011 uh yeah 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 so and this movie came out in 2010 yeah yeah Mm. and that was the weird thing i was like whoa so yeah synchronicity so psychological realism is kind of the method it goes by. Mm -hmm. Oliver has this relationship with Melian Laurent and it's proceeding as a courtship and it's not, it's proceeding like steadily and wonderfully and warmly. And as he's having experiences with her, it's causing him to remember things that were going on with his dad because that that's, who's been on his mind lately Mm because he's still grieving. Yep. And so we see all these different kinds of flashbacks triggered by lots of different kinds of moments. Right. I think it's interesting the way this movie weaves those flashbacks in to help complement those moments. Yeah. Um, especially with the mom, mm-hmm. because if if you are looking at your parents as like this template for a relationship, mm-hmm. he, he sees his parents, even at a young age, like a, a 13, 14 year old, as like not being in love with each other. Right. And so he has to process that from a very, very young age. Yeah. Um, and then he gets this realization when his dad comes out and then has to like kind of figure out like, okay, if that, if that coupling of people made me do, do I want to make a coupling? And he, we kind of get that he's flitted from relationship to relationship, but he just like runs away from them. Yeah. So that's exactly what the conflict of the film is, is Oliver figuring out, I don't want to make the mistake my parents made because I saw how unhappy they were their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to doom myself or someone else to unhappiness. Yeah. And I was actually surprised that they didn't really bring that up as a point of conflict between him and his dad. Because yeah. they broached this topic of like they stayed together because they did love each other, but with Christopher Plummer not feeling like it was a safe at a certain point or, you know, not feeling like he could be openly gay Mm -hmm. and saying like, I wanted to be in this relationship because it was comfortable and safe and I loved your mom and I loved my job. But like, I I felt like the question unasked at that moment to his dad, who was also going through stage four cancer and it's like hard to bring up stuff like this is 
because at one point he says, he says, what about mom? Mm -hmm. You know, and like the inner psyche of Ewan McGregor is what if, what if I make somebody else's life like not as fulfilled as it could be? Yeah. And, and I, I'm surprised this movie didn't probe it further, but it really doesn't get loudly dramatic. And I feel like that moment would have been loud. Yeah, that's why it's called, I'm calling it psychological realism, mm-hmm. because the realism part is like, well, we're, we rarely have big, you know, emotional, dramatic, theatrical fights with other people. It's sure. more probing and it's more introspective. So this is a very introspective film because we're seeing Oliver's stream of consciousness. My father realized he was gay when he was 13. It was 1938. This is what pretty looked like. This is the high school where they first met. This is the war they both went to. And this man was popular when they met again. On top of that, though, like there's weird moments where um, they're describing the cancer and he thinks of a quarter because I think they say it's it's about the size of a quarter. Mm-hmm. And he starts dividing that into uh, nickels, nickels dimes, and dimes. Pennies. And, yeah, yeah. And it, you're right. The psychological realism is, is like... Um, it's it's soft filmmaking yeah. in, in like a very I think it can be done really badly, but yeah. I, I don't think this one was. It's very similar to Lost in Translation, and I think Lost in Translation. We're gonna look back. Have you seen that one? No, I've. It's been on my list for a Ooh, really long boy. time. We Sofia I, Coppola. We right? got to watch it for the pod. Uh, Lost in Translation. I have a feeling in thirty, forty years, we're gonna look back at it and say that was the epicenter of what indie filmmaking was kind of like gravitating towards because it's like soft and gentle and <laughs> it has Bill Murray. So yeah. like it's the cred. It has, it has cred. like a, a piece, that, like if you're going to a museum to see like, um, like Monet, you're like, I'll walk around the rest of the museum because I like art, but I'm going to see the Monet. Yeah. Like that's what's drawing me there. Yeah, exactly. So lots of translation has this feeling to it. And I think everyone who's seen it will agree that it's got this melancholy to it, but that's not bad and it's not sad. It's just this kind of it's like some it's this cooling effect on you where you're just kind of chilling with the film for about two hours mm. and it feels very therapeutic as you're going through it. And I think a lot of movies are going for what Lost in Translation broke the ground with. And like Beginners feels like part of the lineage mm. of it. And mm-hmm. it's and it's they're very similar so take this movie it's that's probably the best like this is what lost in Tra- translation will feel like for you when yeah you, when you check that's it out. cool i I'm, I'm really excited to check that out so i think there's something particular about this movie where if you're looking for dramatic filmmaking you're not gonna really find it it's, no not <laughs> not dramatic no I, this is a very real like it is a very realist film. But not boring. No, definitely not boring. It's like I described it as a slow burn when we were kind of chatting about it before we we started recording. And I I think that's right. But I, I it's not a slow burn in a way that makes you want to, at least for me, like check your phone right. or like look for something to entertain you. If you are in this movie along with Ewan's experiences, it's it's a ride. It's like take Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Disneyland? Love Disneyland. Okay, so you can go on like you know, like uh, like a Thunder Mountain or a Splash Mountain or uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like all the stuff is going on left and right. 
Or you can go on something like uh, the Peter Pan ride mm-hmm. where they're just like drifting over a yeah. city and it's slow, but it's never like really exciting. It's just like it just immerses you in the experience of this ride. That's kind of what this movie felt like. It's a gentle experience for sure. Yeah. The storyline I think we need to flesh out a little bit more is him as a child with his mother and his relationship with the, his mom because mm-hmm. they have a really fun relationship. Yeah. And we get that he doesn't really have much of a relationship with his dad when he's younger because he's always off at work. Yeah. And he says, like, I don't remember you as a as a kid. Yeah, really. which is weird because so much of this movie, like we said, is stream of consciousness. There's so many memories, but mm-hmm. he can't muster memories of his, his father as It was just child. him kissing his mom goodbye. Yeah, that's yeah. all he can really remember. But yeah, I love when his mom, like, shoots him <laughs> with her finger and she's like, no, you could die better than that. Yeah, and... Their relationship reminded me of the kind of dynamical dynamical, dynamical relationship yeah. mm-hmm. that I can see you with your kids that you want to be not just any parent. You want to be atypical of a parent. You want to <laughs> stand out. You want to give them something special. Yeah, I, that's true. But I would I would like to also not be... I feel like his Embarrassing. mom... Embarrassing. <laughs> well, no, I don't think... His mom... She was being quirky at the at the hospital or at the art exhibit yeah. for sure because she like she kind of interacts with the art physically, yeah. but not in a way that made me think that like this guy this like museum guy walks up to her and he's like uh, maybe don't do that yeah. and I'm like what do you mean dude? and then she she said the same thing she's like what do you mean I can do this like she wasn't like I think if you're being distracting uh, at a like a highfalutin art to exhibit yeah, yeah. sure just bring it but back that's but that's my point was... i see you being inspirational to your kids someday to be like hey you don't have to be doing this thing just like this you can also do it like this yeah and we see that ewen is kind of a the movie doesn't talk about it but the way i see it is he is a product of his two parents where yeah. he has an appreciation of art yeah and like he's always trying to when there's this deep e story <laughs> yeah that he is um making album art for a, a band called the sads which mm-hmm. is you know I, are they a real band oh maybe maybe he they all they want is portraits and he wants to give them like an exhibit yeah right? and so that's an appreciation from his like dad's point of view yeah but his mom sees art in this like weird unique way which is i think where he gets like that from like his his desire to be different than what people are expecting yeah. of him yeah um, but yeah, she does also with this quirkiness seem very, I wouldn't say depressed, but she has an edge to her. Yeah. And you can tell, and maybe it's him as he's seeing the memories, but she's suffused with this kind of like doomedness where she's just kind of sad about life and just kind of like given into that. Yeah. Her life is not going to be. She knows the life she's great. chosen. Yeah. And it's, she's kind of in prison and. For her, at the very least, she's got a companion in her son, so at least there's that. Mm-hmm. But it's not the big life that she wanted. Yeah, she she also lets him drive to the end of the block and stuff, <laughs> which is great. Um, but yeah, and we don't get till like close to the end of the movie that um, Christopher Plummer revealed to her that he was gay, like when she asked to marry him. Yeah, and then she, you know, she said that she could fix that, and it's it's. I think this movie does a really good job talking about not only the parlance of the time, but like how people, certain people thought certain ways about like gayness or like the, 
the ability to change yourself or looking at it as a psychological disorder. And like his, I like their portrait of the mom as not somebody who is malicious or backwards, but who just like made, made a choice because she loved someone. Yeah. And, and same thing with, uh, um, Christopher Plummer's character too. He, he was kind of, he was afraid of being out rightfully so. Cause what, that was like the fifties, early sixties. Yeah. And he chose a safe, comfortable place because he loved this person as well. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's like, that is scary thinking about the trap of that, that yeah. life pushes you towards sometimes. And I, I totally bought that part where you have these two people that we're knowing through Oliver's perspective, but we kind of like, we, we hear this story and we're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. You guys mm-hmm. were like best friends. You loved each other in your way. Maybe it wasn't sexual, but you felt really close to each other. And you thought, both of you thought that it would work out and it didn't quite work out. This feels like if, if I was going to, <laughs> this movie doesn't need remaking or anything, but if I was going to tell this story again, I would want to tell it in Jane Austen era. Charlotte, my dear Lizzie. I've come here to tell you the news. Mr. Collins and I are engaged. Engaged? Yes. Yeah, a uh, a D make like a. (laughs) There's something about the like the fifties as a place of I need to go hide somewhere that is safe for me. That is also equivocable of the like the realm of I don't have much money and I'm a woman and being married means you know, safety Mm -hmm. financially anyway. Yeah. And like combining and weaving the two aspects of, I need to find somebody to get married to, but I also need someone to hide so I can like hide this part of me from society would be a really interesting tale. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's that story. Yeah. Anything else about that? Uh, not that, if we if you look at the story between Oliver and his dad, a lot of it is just how the relationship kind of grew really strong because of what happened after the mother passed and his dad was going on this journey of coming out and just Oliver just kind of witnessing to it and yeah. just kind of supporting it. And and yeah, being really supportive to him not only health-wise but also just being like, you know, he's he's kind of he's being that friend that he needs and when he's like, "Okay, are you sure about, you know, this person that you want to date. Yeah. Uh, like he, he kind of is that best friend that his dad doesn't really have. It seems yeah. until he gets more friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so Christopher Plummer starts dating this guy played by Goran Viznik. 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 <laughs> Who's wonderful. And it's this, he's this younger guy compared to Christopher Plummer and you know, they seem really happy, but Goran's character has this like, traumatic insecurity of being a gay man with yes. with everybody and it like as apropos of nothing he gets really aggressive with people not aggressive but just kind of like no but i i, I know the word um his name's andy yeah and um the word is he becomes an oversharer yeah which is it's hard to deal with an oversharer anyway but when when they're also like insecure and challenging of like you know like there are multiple times where he brings up to Ewan McGregor, like, "Hey, do you think this about me because I'm gay?" Right. 
but just apropos of nothing. Yeah. Which there, there are definitely people who do that. And I was just like, I, I in Ian's shoes, I was like, Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. And it's just really great humanism of just like this Very guy is so. just hurting. It's like, he's not trying to be uncomfortable. He's no, just, he's just really reaching out for connection. Yeah. Yeah. He's desperate for connection and he, he's just being, kind of a beautiful he's being, person. Yeah. He's being vulnerable without grace in that way, but he's not necessarily a super graceful human being. The reason why Christopher Plummer loves him is because he's bombastic and like happy and joyful. Yeah. And like seeing what his relationship was like with his wife, you can see like why finding Andy would be like a, a nice salve for that, like yeah. a cool pack. Yeah. Um, even though he admits to Ewan, he's like, I was looking for a lion and I got a giraffe, mm-hmm. but that's okay because I'm dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we have the conflict in that story is that Christopher Bummer got some kind of infection, went to the hospital. Then that's when they found out there was cancer, mm-hmm. but he's not telling his friends and his and Andy, he's not telling them that it's stage four cancer. He's yeah. just saying that he's getting better. And Oliver's like chiding. and was like, you got to tell people like what's going on. And we don't really, really find out when he reveals. This is another thing. It was like, if it was a big dramatic movie, there would be this big scene where it like comes out. It's like, I'm dying, but they never have that kind of scene. No, they don't. And, and part of that is because they cut, to like like we don't we don't get many of the the we, the only story that we know is in linear order is Ewan's and um, Melanie's yeah um, the other stories they jump around so much that you're not quite sure like when certain well, things happen. certain things happen yeah just how your memory works you yeah. just kind of ping pong through memories and mm-hmm. thinking about things and I really I really relate to that because like several months ago I was just kind of in a harder place and my mind was always distracted by Mm. the people I was concerned with. Yeah. And you get into that place where you're thinking about someone and you're thinking about their motivations for things that they're doing. And then you really start digging into your memories of, of them and like the different experiences you had together. And you're trying to like be a a detective and you're like, is that why they did this? Was it because of this incident that happened or was it because of this incident that happened? It really makes conversations hard too, because you're always in your own head. Yeah. And so that's what we see with Melanie Laurent's character is that we see him want to pursue this relationship, but we see him super distracted, super distracted. And luckily she's an empathetic person and she can like be there for him. And she's kind of in the same place too. Yeah. Her dad, her dad's like thinking about killing himself and it's, obviously really hard for her, but instead of like, instead of getting close to her dad, the way that Ewan did, she's like trying to distance herself because that's what's healthy for her. Mm -hmm. And I like, again, if this was a more dramatic movie at one point in time, I bet Ewan when hurt would say something like, you know, you're lucky that your dad's still alive. Like, why don't you talk to him or something like that? But again, that was never brought up as a subject. Yeah. So their relationship proceeds and it kind of comes to a head when, you know, he wants her to move in with him and she does, but it's rocky. She's not super comfortable with it. I, th- I think is I think it just takes a day for them to realize it doesn't work. Yeah. Or it's, not, it's hard to tell not work, but just isn't really working. And they're both very insecure and both uncomfortable with the situation and Which, they don't know what to do. That's with it. rough. Like a day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And. The what Oliver's going through 
is the thing that's at the front of his mind because because his dad just passed and he's been thinking all about his parents' life and all about his his collective experiences that shaped him is the trauma of growing up in a really sad home mm. and how all three of the people in his family suffered because of this circumstance of the marriage. And it's not Oliver's fault that their marriage was the way that it was. No. But he had to bear the brunt of it. That he had to be not necessarily the emotional support of his mother, but he kind of had the burden of being her supporter. Right. And I think in in addition to that, they they talk about in, in his narration a little bit about how his parents never had time to be sad mm-hmm. because they were always like, working or putting you know food on the table or they were just busy all the time and so like generationally they just never had time to be sad about their lot in life and deal with it and whereas and when they Hen- tried to deal with it it mm-hmm. was like a therapist who told him that he was just mentally ill right yeah and so like basically poisoned his his brain against himself for yeah. the next like 40 years of his life and the like there's a deep sadness in that that I feel like Ewan doesn't have to deal with personally, but bears the burden of processing. Yeah. Just so like, I feel like this is kind of how generations progress, like in the slow progression of time Mm -hmm. where we have to think about the sins of our fathers because they are leaving us with those. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we will make our own for sure, but like we're making a world amidst these sins. Whereas like, you know, ours are passed on generation to generation mm-hmm. to generation, and each one tries to move forward and fix those problems. Yeah. And like Melanie Laurent is very similar to him, where she's she's kind of cheery some of the time, but she's also kind of sad some of the time. Yeah. And she's like, I I don't know if this is what I want, but maybe it is. And they just, they're just filled with ennui, but not in an annoying way. Right. Yeah. It's not like. It's not like a French movie where it's like, sad, so sad. No, they just think, they're just trying to think about what's best for their life, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So when he sees Melanie in his house, after a day of living with him, he sees the same kind of sad indifference his mother had. And that was kind of like a trauma arrow right through his heart. And he's like, oh my God, I can't do this. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not going through that pain again as someone who has to deal with someone else's uh, emotional burden of just being around my family. So I'm not going to put you through that. I'm not going to put myself through that. So let's just end it. So they break up and they have their dark night of the soul and they get to think about stuff. And I think one of the greatest race to the airport moments happens after this. What? what? Well, because (laughs) he decides I'm going to go find her. And so he packs a bag drops off the the dog at um, Andy's house mm-hmm. and then flies to New York because he's like, I'm going to get her back. Yeah. And then she doesn't end up being there because she decided to stay in L.A. for some reason, maybe on the off chance that he would change his mind. Yeah. And so he flies back and then they get back together. Yeah. And I think what Oliver realizes, and it, no one ever really like says, this is what I had realized. And no one ever actually has a conversation where they like, get it out of each other. It's just, this is the thing that we've read from the film because we're getting that juxtaposition of his memories Mm -hmm. as things are going, uh, which is, as Hitchcock would say, pure cinema, (laughs) uh, is that 
Melanie is not his mother, obviously. Obviously. But time she, doesn't work like that. She is more akin to Andy that she can be this special relationship in your life and doesn't have to be a burdensome relationship. It can be the exciting, joyous love in your life. I think she's, I think, yes, she could be that, but she's not going to be as like energetic as Andy. (laughs) Sure. I actually think that she is um, offered up by this movie as the middle road Mm -hmm. where she's not like the immediate safe bet of that first person that you fell in love with that you're just like, okay, this is safe. I'll stay there. Yeah. She's not the rebound from that, which is the Andy, the exciting, happy, I'm going to introduce you to everything that was outside of your initial fears. Right. She's uh, kind of an equal with him. Um, she hasn't gone through something really sad recently per se, Mm -hmm. but it feels like those two, especially on like that last scene where we catch them on the bed together. Yeah. They are equals. Yeah. And And they've, they've found each other kind of. And they're new at, you know, doing a deep relationship. uh, It's it's hard describing a movie like this, right? Yeah. But you know, all you need to know is that they're beginners. What, what was the last line in this movie? They were basically kind of like, well, what now? Because, like, it's like he had dated all these women, but he's never had a true blue long-term relationship. Right. He's he's never... I, I would say that he's probably never fallen in love. Right. He's had relationships, but right. that doesn't mean he's been in love. Right. And, like, her... When he gets to her apartment, she's also... She has, like, some photos, mm-hmm. but her life is pretty devoid of like much personality outside of herself. Yeah. Because it seems like she also hasn't attached herself to much of anything. Yeah. And it seems like they're both about to take that first step. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, let's take a little break and come back to Trope Talk. Welcome back to Trope Talk. It's like tightrope talk, but closer to the ground. Oh, yeah. you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, yeah. When you when you talk about things as serious as tropes, you really want to not be balancing for fear of your life. No, no, no. Or, no, no. or at least you know you get the balance beam with you. You got that like pole thing, little stick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like your trope. Come <laughs> a little stick. Okay, so uh, what's a trope this week? I couldn't really find one. Yeah, I couldn't find one either. Well, let's talk about that then. There is a vacuum of tropes. There is an absence of tropes in this film. Yeah, because I think this film kind of wears its plot, its heart, and its characters very much on its sleeve. Yeah. Where everybody kind of talks about exactly what they're going through. Our central character doesn't really change much. And like anything that could be a trope, like I brought up like, uh, did they or didn't they, which is like a trope where you cut away from them possibly having had sex to the next morning. And you're like, Ooh, did they have sex or not? We didn't see it. But in this, we know explicitly they're like, let's just sleep together. Yeah. And then they wake up the next morning. Yeah. So (laughs) I, I think that this movie is very, let's, I, I think in this section, we should talk about what we, what we felt about this movie. Like, did you like this movie? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the drama. Um, and for a lack of drama in this movie, you really brought it in that moment. What did you think? I liked it a lot. Had you seen it before? 
I did. I saw it in theaters. Did I feel you see like it I was one me? of the only ones that did. Did we watch it together? I think I went on a date to see this movie. I think it was with me. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I can't remember. I know I saw it at Fox Tower. So I got a present from Sarah that was this movie. She got me the DVD of it. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it's because we all saw it together and she was getting me like a first we did present. see it together i remember now and it was at fox tower you were on a date with us yes god that's it that's it i loved it when it came out i like i still love it now and it's weird because have you have you sought out watching this movie after having seen it the first time not really, and I feel bad because Sarah got it for me as a present, and I never watched the DVD, and <laughs> I literally replaced the DVD with a Blu-ray because I'm weird like that, and luckily it was only like three bucks <laughs> as a Blu-ray, so. Well. Uh, but I was happy to replace and upgrade the thing that Sarah got for me. So I had a DVD of it, which I, I think I misplaced, and. Uh, did you want it? Because I just donated mine to Goodwill. No, that's fine. But my, my whole point is, I, I very specifically picked a DVD up of it, misplaced it in one of my many mm, moves. To watch and it. And I, I didn't watch it when, when I picked it up. It's the kind of movie where even in the back of your head, you're kind of like, no, I'm not quite in the mood for this. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really well-made, beautiful film that almost begs you not to watch it again. Yeah. Because I think, I think this movie makes me just in its very bones it makes me want to live my life a little bit more out loud even yeah. though that's not what they are doing very much there's this like his his two buddies that take him around um like he he goes in like tags <laughs> buildings with his things. they yeah they just go <laughs> i like the soundtrack it's like wong yeah um, <laughs> who's the director who does uh amelie um, and uh, Delicatessen. Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Yeah, Jean-Pierre Jeunet. It, it felt like a soundtrack in one of his movies. Yeah. And I I think the lack of tropes um, in this movie just kind of stem from the fact that this movie isn't trying to convince you really of anything. It's just saying, we're going to watch these people be very thoughtful about their lives after being introduced to the idea of going through your entire life and missing very essential parts of it. Yeah. And I think the cliche in cinema world is French films tend to be like this, where they're very thoughtful and introspective and very quiet. And it's just, you know, as Idiot would call it, like people sitting in rooms. Arranging stacking. matchsticks. And you can't eat popcorn to that. You're going... <laughs> if you're not aware of what you're going into, you're just kind of sitting there Bored. bored to tears. There's even really great movies like um, Jules at Gym, mm -hmm. which we're going to do eventually on this podcast. Yeah. Um, it's a great film. It, there's some boring parts in it. It gets a it's little very French, long. but it's also really fun and really yeah. fanciful. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why it's a cliche where it's like, okay, we don't have anything specific to say. It's like this, but it can drift into that. And <laughs> like how my wife just <laughs> eyed me warily, just like I'm closing the door on you. Okay, you don't want to hear us talk about French films, Sarah. <laughs> but this film, can we can we get at what makes it not, not boring? boring? Is because of the filmmaking. Yeah, you take a movie like Laggies, and with that, we're like, that's good. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not 
shouting off the rooftop. It's like we had a good time. It was it was a good use of our ninety minutes. But this movie is like arms and shoulders above that because it's making choices. Yeah. This movie uh, makes really like interesting choices like we were talking about with its editing. But on top of that, none of the characters do anything that is entirely cookie cutter. Like there's nothing in this movie that can be expected plot wise because there's really no plot. Yeah. Because like in Laggies, you know, Keira Knightley is fuck up and must fix herself and stop being fuck up but beginners it's just kind of like taking the position of like well we're all fuck ups not in really giant ways just in these small ways little ways that we can't help ourselves with whereas Keira Knightley it's like oh I figured out not to do that stupid fucking thing anymore (laughs) yeah and I think to this movie's great testament I think it combines that that feeling of French cinema where it we're just watching people go through a circumstance, yeah, with like this American optimism mm-hmm. that doesn't doesn't go into the realm of cloying because I think if he would have found her in New York and he would have like you know kissed her just like at the end of Laggies, it just it would have felt cloying compared to the entire rest of the film, yeah, but it feels like the hands of the director were just like keeping it from going below the water. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like, no, 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 I'm going to keep you above the water so that you can breathe air this whole time. And, and like come to a better place after your existential crisis. Yeah. And there's something in filmmaking or any art when you employ restraint and that's a choice. I usually like my filmmakers to have no restraint, but there's kind of varying degrees of success with that. Like Wes Anderson, unhinged is always fun but unhinged with a movie like moonrise kingdom is like okay we get it you like ornate things yeah you like symmetry wonderful uh whereas life aquatic it's bill murray on a boat for two hours i'm like this is awesome Uh uh (laughs) so you know your mileage may vary and i think mike mills is like nope i'm gonna pursue restraint and that's just going to be the speed I'm going. And he never wavers from it. And I think for the most part it works, but I can totally understand why someone, while we didn't find it boring, someone else would be like, sorry, it's boring. This might be a little bit slow for somebody else's lane. Yeah. 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 And so you have been warned. It's going to be slow. Just to just know that you're going into the, to the, the farthest right lane. You're not in the left lane. You're not speeding past people. If you are watching this movie, I, I highly, if you haven't, and you like listen to our podcast just by, by virtue of like looking for movies rather than necessarily watching movies and listening for reviews, I would set your phone down. I would Mm -hmm. hide your phone. Yeah. Don't get distracted. Yeah. Like really immerse yourself in this film. And I would also say if, if you've lost a loved one in, in any way that was a long-term kind of, um, struggle, um, this, this movie could hit you hard. Robin, my, my wife, uh, had a very emotional time watching this film. She couldn't get through it. She couldn't get through it. And she, she was like, whoever wrote this at least knows this experience. This yeah. is, she like this, this movie, like when all, all the hospital scenes are just so real and affecting. And I think I, I only didn't go down the road of being super sad um, because I was there's something about Ewan McGregor's performance where he was like trying to keep his head above water. And so I was like, I'll be right there with you, Ewan. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was affected most by the film, strangely, by relating to Christopher Plummer. And I've been saying this for the past year and a half, is that I'm, he's I, a dad. I'm identifying as a dad. And what was striking about... Here he goes again. <laughs> his famous segment, as a father. As a father. The scene where he did, and Ewan McGregor is crying over him. I th- had the thought to myself, oh, one day... I will die. I know that. But that day, I'm going to be breaking my son's heart. And there's, hopefully I'm breaking his heart. Hopefully he still loves me when I die. (laughs) I hope to break my son's heart. (laughs) But there's no, it is the only time, well, it'll be the first time in my son's life that I literally can't be there for him. Mm. How can I be there for him if I'm here for him? What's that from? <laughs> the office. Yeah. I, I I will be the cause of his grief in that in that moment. And it made me really sad. Yeah. And I almost cried when thinking about that thought that I don't want to break my son's heart. You know, it's it's weird that you bring that up. Um I have thought about that. I thought about I I was kind of obsessed with death as a teenager and yeah. like in my early twenties. I have thought about certain relations of mine that don't exist yet (laughs) being sad about my death in a way that at one point in time, I was like, not only is this distracting and a waste of time, (laughs) but how much hubris do you have thinking (laughs) these people are going to be broken up about your death? It's almost like a delusion of grandeur, but about it's a very likely delusion though. Like they will be rocked. It's in some way, maybe, maybe not in the way that you're hoping that they're going to be like bawling their eyes. No, that's out. not what I want. I would much rather have people celebrating uh, my death, not because they're glad I'm gone. <laughs> of course, that they're dancing on your grave, <laughs> <laughs> shooting me out of a cannon or something. No, I get wistful about relationships. I hope will happen someday. Like I, yeah, I look yeah, forward yeah. to being a grandfather. Like I, I just see it's like. When I look at my son, it's just this weird. Like you can do this now, where you can look at your your wife's pregnant belly, and you can like you it can, moves. You can way. start it to moves. see it. Yeah. You, you see your child moving in the tummy, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, but you can you really start to see it when you see their face, and and start to see oh they're going to be forty seven someday and be really disappointed in like a movie they just went to, or like you can just see this trajectory of their life in a way that you couldn't see for yourself. Because you have that third person perspective, mm. but when you're like in first person of yourself, it's hard to visualize what your life will be like ten years from now. Like you roughly see what it'll be like. But well, I mean, it, you can't. But you uh, like the question that you're proposing is: Can you use your imagination to see some possibility of yeah. your life? Which is something that's what I was kind of bringing up. Is I do that a lot. Yeah, and I really actually do like watching movies with you because you sometimes have like these first time experiences yeah and um i really like listening to those oh man oh man when you took me to see my neighbor totoro i'm sure i had the reaction that you were hoping for yeah very much and it's just like that was you probably went to that movie because it's like i'm going to watch ryan watch my neighbor totoro (laughs) because what joy i had from it but yeah, I I want to have my my imaginary friend I have right now is I hope that Thea will have a daughter someday and that daughter will be my buddy and I'll be the one showing her all the movies and it'll be like some weekend it's like come on over I'm going to show you Truffaut this weekend or like we're going to work through these I movies. I just rolled my eyes for her. 
<laughs> and and she'd be like, but these are boring. I'm like, no, 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 not, not this one. This this one you like. I and just I imagine this one's the 400 blows. <laughs> I'm just imagining this total fictional relationship and just hoping against hope that it'll it'll proceed. I don't know why it's a granddaughter I'm looking forward to, but there it is. Well, it's probably because I'm having a daughter. Yeah, I'm yeah. just projecting. Well, Ryan, it seems like we really liked this movie, even though it didn't have very many tropes. But since it didn't have any tropes, would you like to give it a rom-com muska? All aboard! <laughs> All aboard! I was just... Wait, was that the train man? Did the train man come in here and sort, like malign our segment? He has totally broken through and shattered the segment because no, i our met third wall the train man no. on the train when no. i took him to the train station uh, the train man himself was on that don't let train. him steal our oscars oh there he goes no he stole our oscars and he's leaving on his train of- wait uh he he drops on here 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 he, he dropped <clears throat> oh look it's another essay thank you train yeah he just threw, he threw back half an Oscar off the train. That's not going to be any good. It's fine. It wasn't, it wasn't even the half with the base. It's not even the good half. Okay. <clears throat> this is just a piece of paper you've had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there's invisible ink. Great. Um, and it says, oh, this is your essay. And it says three movies you didn't realize are rom-coms. Ryan proposes that there are three movies that you didn't realize are rom-coms. And I, I just tell think, one of them, tell them one of them. I'm going to tell them all three. Okay. Uh, because what I'd like for them to do is go over to patreoncom slash rom-com gents and argue about whether we would think these movies are rom-coms or not. <clears throat> we have Armageddon, Michael Bay's Armageddon, the dark Knight, Christopher Nolan, classic, yep. classic rom-com. And while you were sleeping, Sandy B, an Sandra actual Bullock. classic rom com. You didn't realize it, but it's actually a rom com. All right. Well, if you want to check out that or any of our polls on which movies we should watch this month, like patrons get to choose which movies we will watch this month. Beginners is a patron poll movie. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa! The Cutting Edge is is really out in front the biggest lead we've had so far in a poll usually it's kind of like neck and neck but this is 75 percent. it's people, for people want to watch some skating yeah uh, it's the middle of summer they want to feel cool yeah. unless they're in the southern hemisphere be cool. uh but if if you want to come in and change the game she's the man wimbledon and tin cup are also on there we're doing kind of a sportsy uh, olympics thing have you watched any olympics yet we were watching um not a gun, but a bow and arrow. But, okay. Archery. You know that doesn't make that sound, right? <laughs> so archery, uh, Sarah was educating me. She's like, okay, now they're going to switch to the manual bow. I'm like, Wait, what? what a crossbow? And they have like a bow where there's like gears. That's called and, a compound bow. Yeah, gears, mm-hmm. pulleys, levers, like really advanced. Mm-hmm. And then they had like a more, you know, like Robin, a long bow. A Robin Hood bow. A long bow. And Sarah was explaining, she's like, yeah, basically with the advanced one, it's really hard to screw up. <laughs> like, yeah, because they the all are getting gold. The engineering ends up like assisting you, basically. Yeah, and so the real competition was like in manipulating the the real bow and arrow. Uh, can, can you tell me whether I'm a snob really quick? Yeah. I think that fencing is stupid. What? 
fights. Now, hear me out. You know this about me, Ryan. I enjoy sword fights. Yep. I enjoy fantasy. I enjoy lightsabers. Yep. I enjoy fencing in movies. Yep. I think fencing in the way that it is in a sport, specifically the Olympics, is dumb. Why? Because the your goal is to hit the other person first, right? Yep. yep. However, so often they both hit each other. Uh-huh. So there's no fear of being hit. Like you you do want to hit the other person first, but it's not indicative of a real sword fight. It's simply I'm going to crash my car into yours first so I get maybe less damage, but that's there's no fear involved. Like like if you're if you're playing soccer back and forth, you want to score goals, right? Sure. But you also don't want the other team to score goals. Sure. Um and in a real sword fight, you want to stab the other person, but you definitely don't want to be stabbed, right? And so the idea of a sport where two people with long sticks go at each other, try to knock the other one out of the way, and hit the other person before they are hit themselves, in a it's, it's dumb to me. Okay. It's kind of like when someone's watching Olympic wrestling, and they're like, uh, this isn't wrestling. I see no... Uh, I see no like pile drivers. I see no like no punches. No, no. I see no so, like so you're arguing flips. you're arguing that fencing as it is in the Olympics is more real than sword fighting. Um, like actual I, sword fighting. Because I, I don't think I don't I think know, lightsabers I get it is a sport. But you're looking for lightsaber fights. No, I'm not. What what I'm looking for is two people coming at each other with the fear of if you're hit at all, you are out. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to defend a man. They just this the fencing. They're fencing. Whatever. Um, you're a snob. You're a you. snob. You're a snob. You're a snob. Thank you. Mm, snobby. Oh, oh. The other, the other thing on the Patreon is uh, we're doing a bonus episode on Lin Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. Yes. So that is the bonus episode that you can only get on Patreon. You can vote. Though, for our monthly episode that comes up here uh, uh, on our regular yeah. feed. And the vote is just th- that that tier. That's the first tier. It's yeah. just two fifty a month. Just a cup a month, of coffee a month. But come check out the bonus episodes. They're really good. Yeah. Oh, and I do want to bring up um, new new patron, Connor Sullivan from Pre- hey, Predict Flicks. Give Connor, welcome. Give Connor a follow over on Predict Flicks, at Predict Flicks on Instagram. Mm-hmm. He talks a lot about like movies and what's amazing about them it's a really good follow go go get at him yeah and he he wrote in a few weeks ago and is like hey you guys should do die hard now we have to do die hard because he became a patron yeah and he he messaged back like you don't have to do die hard and we're like yes we do (laughs) yes we do (laughs) that we we invited you to join patreon to do it and you did it so we are holding ourselves to that that agreement. We fulfill our contracts. This is our side of the bargain. Let us do this. Let us keep the honor in our house. So if you become a patron, there's a lot of stuff that we'll do. <laughs> That's relevant to the podcast and rom-coms, but we will stretch so far, at least for bonus episodes. I to feel do like Die somebody's going to try to make us kiss. I mean, it depends entirely on the context. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, tell me the context of the Oscar you're giving this film. I would say best supporting actor in Goran Viznyek. Yeah. Okay. Really liked Andy in this movie. He blew me away the first time I watched it, and he blew me away this time because there's something kind of 
off-putting about him and not off-putting and very human about mm-hmm. him where you can't help but love him even though he's he kind of makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, he's he feels like that friend who you're never quite sure about, but you can see like oh, they're really good and a lot of people can see a ton of good in him. And so I'm also going to find that. Yeah. And yeah, I think he pulled off a very unique performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good Oscar. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give this movie best editing. Yeah. Because it's not often that we get as clever of editing in a rom-com as this film. Like this movie was much more a rom-drom really, if yeah. we're being honest about it. There uh, was some wry humor. Yeah, you're right. But it was, uh, again, it was soft. It wasn't laughed out loud. It was just yeah. a, a quiet humor. And which also sounds like a Mike Mills title. <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like a follow-up to a quiet place part two. <laughs> a quiet humor, the funny parts, <laughs> or it's, it's like, um, the, uh, what is the Game of Thrones or the Talking Dead or something? You know, like an after show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think the editing was clever. It wasn't distracting. It really flowed with the narration of his voice, and I think that's really hard to pull off. And so I just I think this movie deserves that Oscar. I really like the montages. We'll play some of that now. This is 2003. This is what the sun looks like and the stars. This is the president. And this is the sun in 1955, and the stars, and the president. My parents got married in 1955. They had a child, and they stayed married for 44 years until my mother died. Six months later, my father told me he was gay. I'm gay. I remember him wearing a purple sweater when he told me this, but actually he wore a robe. I'm gay. Nice. What good cinema. (laughs) Well, good. Um, I'm glad that we have some Oscar love, even though, you know, it's it's torn into two. We've got some broken Oscars. You know, we've got a a lower half and a top half. But, you know, speaking of lower half, who did you fall in love with? Did you ask me if I was a bottom? (laughs) Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, I love, I love you. I know. You go first today. I will say Melanie Laurent's character only because... I'm sorry, Oliver, you're a bit of a sad sack. (laughs) And I think there's something kind of, you see that character, and I was thinking, I'm like, okay, would I love Plummer, McGregor, or Laurent? Mm -hmm. Hmm. With McGregor, I got this intuitive sense that I never really had to deal with Sarah, but I think other people have this in their lives. I'm not saying you're burdened by this, but it's just like you have personalities where it's like, everybody's partner has a thing and you've figured out what your partner's thing is and you figured out how, and you're figuring out, but you, you kind of have a recipe of like, you have the tool set to deal with it. Yeah. I know what to do with. And it's like with Oliver, he has a perpetuity, perpetuity, perpetuity. He is in perpetuity. Pituitary. Yeah. He has a pituitary gland. Uh, he's a bit of a depressive and that's totally fine. Um, but I don't know if I could be 
what he needs. <laughs> okay, yeah, sense. that's fair. I, you're looking out for him. I like yeah. that. I think he would appreciate that. Yeah. Sarah deals with my stuff. I could deal with Sarah's stuff, but I don't think I can deal with McGregor's stuff. Well, Sorry. What, what What do you like about Laurent? Uh, she kind of is just like the next best thing because I also don't think I could handle Christopher Plummer because I think he's a handful. You think so? <laughs> I think he is because he is kind of a, he is silly where he always is telling Oliver, it's like, explaining things to him and Oliver's like I, I know I know who Harvey Milk is yeah, like, uh-huh, sure. I know what the pride flag is and I think I would just get annoyed by the shit of that stuff it's like you gotta stop explaining things to me sure I, I saw I was really thinking a lot about when he was explaining the, the pride flag where he's like yeah I know what the pride flag is dad <laughs> and I think half of that was Christopher Plummer wanting to like share his life with his son yeah and then the other half was perhaps him wanting to know about something more than more over more than oliver that was like he's like this is my world now i'm getting to know it it's my job and ability and like right to share this and i think you know it's kind of sad when somebody's like yeah i know all about the hobbit kelly i know how it's not (laughs) the same as the movie and yeah i know the books better and so like i get that what's funny is speaking of that you've never been a know-it-all about tolkien and you could be. Oh, yeah, I could be. And I don't know how you can employ such restraint. I think Robbins felt the brunt of that a little bit at times where we're, we're talking about like the book and she's like, well, it's like this. And I'm like, well, no, it's no, not. No, it's, it's, it's really actually. Not. And she knows a ton about Tolkien, too. Like a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, but there are times where I do get up on my high steed. Yeah. I call it a steed because we're talking about Lord of the Rings. There you go. It's just my, I- my high shadow facts. <laughs> I'm just show me the meaning of haste. (laughs) I'm just the king of know-it-allism and Mm -hmm. I can't shut the fuck up about things. And I'm just kind of envy your restraint. I think mine's insidious. (laughs) (laughs) Why? There's sometimes where I like just wait for someone to fuck up so I can be like, is that really true? You get to well, actually then. Yeah. uh, And, and then there's an annoyance in that. It's just not as out loud, but, um, so, so Melanie Laurent, she's the one I picked because she is the last one to pick the straw. I, I just, sure. Not Andy. Not Andy. He's definitely a handful. Cause he's a handful too. She's the least handful character. She's pretty, but she's actually not my type. Sure. There's just something a little, I, I like petite girls, but there's something a little mousy about her. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I think mousy can be cute, but your, there's just, your wife kind of has like a, a cute mouse kind of look. She's to her. more squirrely. Okay, sorry, different rodent. I'm sorry. So um, I, I don't know. There's, it, it's one of those things where it's like I get why Oliver's into you. I, I'm see, not I thought Melanie you, Laurent but... was more of a rabbit. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually am going to pick her as well. I was going back and forth between her and Christopher Plummer. Yeah, because Christopher Plummer, he's he's. I like his eccentricities where he's like, I like shopping a lot since I'm dying, and um, I'd prefer him as a grandpa. Yeah, very much so. Like, I'd prefer him as a, a grandpa or a friend. He, he has movie nights. He, yeah. He, like, joins a bunch of clubs, yeah. you know? I mean, it's fun. But I think Melanie Laurent is someone who, like, I, you know, she's she's having a hard time with her dad. I get that. Complications with, like, dad relationships are complicated sometimes. I feel like I'd be able to be there for her during that. I think yeah. she is very beautiful. But on the reason why I picked her is not any of that. But simply because the way she chooses to communicate at the party when she can't, 
Oh, it's talk. It's it, sexy. It's sexy. I think her and Ewan have like good chemistry in this movie. Yeah. But I think I'd have really good chemistry with her because she chooses to bring along a small notepad. Yeah. And communicate via notepad because she can't talk rather than just like coming unprepared to a party. And I really like that as a prop that she's chosen. Yeah. And there's something so charming and quirky and lovely about it. So she's she's who I'm falling in love with. Yeah. It's, it's a good choice. I, I was thinking when I was watching the movie that I was really locked into Oliver's mindset because she's like, there's a scene where she's like, you know, let's let's bang. And he's just kind of like, hey, let's slow down and talk for a second. And I was like totally on Oliver's side. I'm like, man, if that was happening to me, I, I would just want to like slow down and talk. And I'm like, God, I am not the guy I was in my 20s where it's like this beautiful French woman wants to like do things to you. And now I'm in my 30s. I'm like, Hey, let's slow down. Let's uh, let's chat. <laughs> um, well, you don't know French, so <laughs> no, you would you wouldn't know what to say. Mais oui, but I do. Um, we fell in love with those people. And that was great. But now it's time to get down to business because we got a letter this week. Hey, Flo, huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you got mail. You sent me a letter. You got mail. I got a message from Luke on Instagram. He reached out to us because he has a podcast called Two Minutes About Time. And their podcast, I am so impressed Tell with them. Tell me about it. I am so impressed with them. They took the movie About Time and they broke it down. In each episode, they go two minutes of the film at a time. Right. Where they're talking about it for longer than two minutes, but they just really break down these two essential Right. Minutes. They're looking at the first two minutes and then the next episode the next two minutes and the next two minutes and the next two minutes brilliant brilliant idea I have not yet uh, went and listened to an episode yet because we just had this exchange wait I wonder if he so I haven't listened to it either but it makes me wonder if there's an episode where they go back to previous two minutes oh just kind of (laughs) in the vein of Tim Tom Tim Tim (laughs) yeah so uh just good on you for the effort in the first place. Uh, but check out their podcast. Uh, and yeah, it's a great movie. And he reached out to us and was like, hey, I'm just glad that there's other guys out there who love rom-coms. Hey, and, and we like, do. Thank you for reaching out. Yeah, we love that. You are in good company. And he told us to check out Love, Rosie. That's another one that he was he was telling us about. Um, now that is a movie? Yeah. Okay, so we'll add that to our list. Add Love Rosie. List. He also said that Laggies, he lives in England, so or he says the UK. He says, in, in the UK, Laggies is called Say When. So the more you know. Say When? Why would it be called Say When? It's like Say When when you're pouring whipped cream on a Oh, mocha. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, all the whipped cream scenes. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. And Keir Knightley's like, bring on the whipped cream. She's like, whipped cream me up. She yeah. doesn't even say when exactly. is the thing. And he's she like, come on, say, say when. when. She's like, I'm going to have all of this whipped cream. I'm not going to. So, yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Um, <laughs> Thanks for the shout out and the reach. Yeah. Can, can, you, can you say that name of that podcast one more time for people? Two minutes about time. Nice. Get at it, folks. Get at it. Um, I think that maybe about does it for us this week. I think it's about time. I think it's about time <laughs> that we picked next week's movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I need a number between one and 178. Mm, three. Oh, okay. We've got... Riding in Cars with Boys, a Drew Barrymore joint. Oh, gosh. We're really on the Barrymore train this summer, aren't we? I like the Barrymore train. 
I do too. Mm. <laughs> and this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs> Sorry, you're... Your wife's like washing dishes and it sounded so gross <laughs> in my in my in my human ears. <laughs>